This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 13. It's holiday season, and there's a lot of way on holidays today. It is August, of course, and uh, school will be starting back soon. I know all the kids are just busting to go and are excited. They can't hardly wait. And uh, if they're anything like me when I was that age, I couldn't wait to get right. Matthew chapter uh, 13, reading verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The king of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Jesus was a brilliant illustrator uh, whenever he was preaching. His preaching uh, often included parables. In fact, they reckon about two-thirds of Jesus' preaching was in parable form. And the word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word parabole. And parabole literally means to lay alongside, to place alongside, so that something can be either contrasted or compared. And so it's a story that's laid alongside something to compare or to contrast. It's where we get the word paramedical from those who are called alongside uh, the medics. Uh, negatively speaking, paramilitaries, we're very familiar with that term here in Northern Ireland, or parallel, like two railway tracks are parallel one to the other. And so it's a way of illustrating, it's a way of comparing or contrasting something in order to teach. And so Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like unto, and so he lays down something uh, to compare it with or contrast it with. Now, Jesus used parables both negatively and positively. He used them to bring out uh, the meaning of what he was teaching, but he also used it to hide the meaning of what he was teaching. Well, why would he do that? Well, he would do that because there would be those in the crowd who had absolutely no interest whatsoever in the things of God or the kingdom of God, and especially of him uh, as the Messiah. Uh, some of them absolutely despised him. Uh, and so when he told a story, uh, it would be particularly for those who had an interest, who was concerned about the kingdom of God, who wanted to know truth, who wanted to really hear what he was saying. Uh, and so he would share uh, for these reasons. So, so sometimes this parable concealed the message, but often, and more often not, it revealed the message. And that was the idea, actually, to reveal the message to those who really uh, wanted to hear. Uh, again, in Matthew 13, uh, in verse 10, it says, And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. 
but whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But... Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then he went on uh, to share uh, more parables. In two of the parables in, in Matthew 13, there's seven, but in two of them they're all relating to the kingdom of God. In Luke 13, Luke calls it the kingdom. Uh, uh, one calls it the kingdom of heaven. One calls it the kingdom of God. And so those two terms are synonymous. There may be a, a slight difference, but basically they're synonymous. So if I say the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, I'm not getting mixed up. It basically means uh, the same thing. But in two of those parables, the sower and the seed and the wheat and the tares, uh, Jesus, what he said publicly to the crowd, he explained privately to his disciples. Because his disciples, they were hungry for the truth. They were hungry to know the word. They were hungry to understand about the kingdom. But just like us, sometimes we just don't get it. Uh, and we have to think more and pray more. And so when, the, when they heard him, they knew he was getting at something beyond the story he was telling, but they just wasn't quite sure. So they would take him aside and say, Jesus, what did you really mean by that? We know you meant something rather than the obvious. So what, what are you trying to say to us? And then he explained to them privately. Now we can ask the Holy Spirit. If we're reading the word of God and we're not sure what it's saying, then we can say, Holy Spirit, you're the author of this word. Show me, explain to me, teach me. I want to know. I'm hungry to know the truth. And the Holy Spirit then uh, will do that. Remember that Jesus was speaking to people who by and large, by this time, were spiritually dull of hearing. For years and years, they had lived under the, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, and that religiosity and that form of godliness had no power. And so for a large part of them were spiritually dull, but some of them in their hearts, they were, they were wanting to hear, they were wanting to understand. And so Jesus would uh, share uh, and give them these truths in, in a parable form. Whenever, whenever Jesus saw sheep he would think of lost sheep or he would think of him being the shepherd of his sheep whenever he would see mustard seeds he would think of faith and the power of faith the ability of faith to grow in fact the little parable he shared just before the one we read was the mustard seed the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and it's planted and it grows into a great tree where the birds of air come and they lodge in it. And so that's talking about the growth of the kingdom of God, the outward growth of the kingdom of God. This parable we read is speaking about the inward growth of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God within us and how it grows. And we'll talk a bit more about that just in a moment. And so when Jesus would see a woman uh, putting leaven into dough, he would think of two things. He would think of it negatively and positively. And we'll see both of these uh, in a moment. I, I cannot move on really until I remind you of something. Now, for those of you who have been coming here forever, just please forgive me for repeating this part. 
But it's so good for those of you who don't know, it's good for you to hear this. You know that the general way to explain a parable is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's just a simple, simple way, a childlike way. But Warren Wearsby has got the best way of explaining the parable that I have ever heard, and I have quoted him many, many times in this, so I'm going to give it to you again. For those of you who know it, then just don't switch off, just listen, but for those of you who don't, then you listen to it. First of all, he said, and this works for every parable, see it, first of all, as a picture, then see it as a mirror, then see it as a window. Those three things, a picture, a mirror, and a window. A parable paints a picture, and Jesus painted pictures with words. And so people were listening, and, and he would use everyday things. I mean, there was nothing mystical about the illustration he gave. It was everyday things, whether it was fish or whether it was birds or whether it was seeds or whether it was a, a rebellious son going off into a far country. These was all things that they, they could vividly see. This picture was painted well. However, the more you looked at the picture he was painting the more you saw something unusual in it. Let me give you an example. Uh, Jesus taught about a farmer who was going out and uh, he, he was wanting to uh, work in his fields, but he needed help. And so, like, when it was harvest time especially, they would go into the village or into the town early, early in the morning, maybe six o'clock in the morning, and there'd be dozens of men standing around waiting to get a job that day because generally at harvest time they need extra help, and so they got a job for the day or for the week or whatever it may turn out to be. And so they go at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then maybe about 11 o'clock he would get back and get some more. And maybe about 3 o'clock he would get back and some more. And then maybe even at 5 o'clock, when there's only about an hour daylight, daylight left, even then he would go out and get some more to work on his field. <laughs> so there's nothing unusual in that. They would be listening and think, well, that's... We know that, that's, but wait a minute. Then he says, when it came to pay all of those, he paid them all exactly the same. The one who started at six in the morning, the one who started at five at night, he got the same as the one that started at six in the morning. And they'll think, that's not fair. That's not right. That's unusual. Why is he saying that? And so he would get their attention that way. Of course, among the many things he was teaching there was about the grace of God. You know, God can give whatever he wants to whomever he wants. It's his to give, and it's his grace that gives it. And so Jesus then would build a picture, but then that picture was to turn into a mirror, a mirror in which we can see ourselves, to see what he's saying to us. Now, in, in, in Matthew 21... Well, you don't need to turn to it. In Matthew 21, Jesus, again, is sharing. And he goes on painting the picture he painted. The Pharisees is always in the crowd. They're listening intently. And this time, this time, they get it because he's speaking about them. And they realize, suddenly they realize, hey, he's getting at us. Suddenly, the picture turned to a mirror, and they saw themselves in the mirror, and it wasn't a pretty picture what they saw. They didn't like it. <laughs> and they were raging because of that. So sometimes, to show them, to expose them to themselves, 
then that picture would turn into a mirror. By the way, Paul says that the word of God is like a mirror to us. And we look into the mirror, and as we keep looking into the mirror of the word of God, then we begin to see ourselves as God sees us, begin to see ourselves in the word. And so it goes from a picture to a mirror, but then ultimately it turns into a window through which we see God. We see God in this, in our lives, in the kingdom of God. And so in the picture, we see life. In the mirror, we see ourselves. And in the window, we see God. The picture represents sight, the mirror insight, and the window vision. The picture is about somebody else. The mirror is about me. And the window is about God and us. And so that, for me, is the best description I have ever heard of a parable. And it helps us when we read parables to see this picture Jesus painting. What's it saying to me? And then what's it saying about God and me? All right, so let's now get into the parable that we read together. Leaven or yeast, as it would be called today, is an ingredient that bakers and brewers uh, introduce uh, to their baking or to the, to the liquid. And as a baker puts leaven or yeast into dough, it's to cause it to rise and expand and to permeate throughout the whole batch. And it, it, it causes a rising, it causes an expansion, it helps to flavor, it helps the aroma. You ever walk past the bakery just across the street and you walk past it and you, ah, makes you hungry, doesn't it? There's something lovely about it. When, when dough is being baked and that leaven, that yeast is in there, it begins to rise and it flavors and so forth. A parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures and made until it was all leavened. Now leaven uh, very often is spoken of negatively uh, in scripture. Uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 16, uh, Jesus there is talking about the Pharisees. And if I can just uh, get us to turn to that, Matthew 16. <laughs> Verse 5. Now when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So they had forgotten to take bread, and it came time to eat. And I can imagine one saying to the other, did you bring the bread? They said, no, I didn't bring the bread. Did you not bring the bread? Who was to bring the bread? So they're having this argument about the bread. And so Jesus uses that, and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's right, darn. The leaven of the Pharisees, that's it. So he said, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or the five thousand, how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves or the four thousand, how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I speak to you concerning bread? But to be... I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And so that doctrine, he says, beware of it, because once it gets in, it begins to spread. And Israel was filled with the doctrine of the Pharisees and the scribes, and it was destroying the people. It was death to the people. It was awful. And so Jesus is saying to be absolutely, to be aware of that. In 1 Corinthians 5, and, 1 Corinthians 5 1 to 7, you don't need to turn to this, uh, Paul says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There was a, a terrible sin in the Corinthian church. It was so bad that Paul says, it's even, it's even a shame to the world. This is so bad. It was an incestuous sexual offense. And he says, deal with it. Take care of it. He wrote, tell him in strong terms. He says, in fact, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul may be saved. But he says, really deal with it because if you don't deal with this, in fact, they weren't dealing with it, Nobody was doing anything about it. He says, if you don't deal with this, he says, that will begin to spread throughout the whole congregation. That would be like leaven. So that's how dangerous it was. But here in Matthew 13 and in Luke 13, Jesus uses leaven in a positive sense. He likens it to the kingdom of God working in a man or woman's life. And so on this occasion, he uses it as a good illustration, not of something negative or sinful, but something wonderful and something great, the kingdom of God working in our lives even today. Now, there are many aspects about the kingdom of God, too many for me to deal with today. I just want to deal with one. And one of them is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in every believer's life today. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Without the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. <laughs> so let's get that right. Yes, as Pentecostals, we believe there's infillings and so forth. That's not my subject today. But the Holy Spirit came into our lives that moment you and I came to Christ. Supernaturally, mystically came into our lives and changed us forever. Hallelujah. And so... Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God in our lives, uh, and I'm using this one illustration of part of the kingdom, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit today, uh, we were without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at one point was not in our lives. We didn't know the Holy Spirit. We'd heard about him, but we didn't know him at all because he wasn't in our lives. But the Holy Spirit came along and began to convict us and convince us of our sinful nature so that we turn to Christ as our Savior to be saved. And at that moment then, he came in to live in our hearts. 
Remember, Jesus says, when I go away, he'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll not be with you, but shall be in you. So from that moment then, the Holy Spirit came into our lives. In John 16 and John 14, you'll get two portions of Scripture that talks about that very thing, how the Holy Spirit came into our lives and what he begins to do in our lives. And so, just like the leaven in the dough, the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and begins that mysterious work within our hearts. Leaven enhances and enriches the dough. And when the Holy Spirit came into your life, from that moment you get saved, your life began to change from that moment onwards. You were never, ever the same, and you never will ever be the same. And so it gives alive our life a, a different flavor, a different aroma. We begin to rise further than we have ever risen that we could ever do in the natural. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul writing here. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now let me just put that in practical terms. There are people that as a believer, when you go into their company and they know you're a believer, they'll want to get away fast. You're the room of death to them. They don't want you to witness to them. They don't want you to preach to them. They don't want to be around you. In fact, if they see you coming, they'll walk on the other side of the corridor. If they see you coming, they'll get out of that room fast because you're death to them. They think they have life. They think you're dead. Yeah. They think your life's terrible. You're bored, all the rest of it. So they don't want to be around you. But then there's others, and they're attracted to you. Why is it that you're the one in your office or you're the one on your factory floor that they come to when they've got a need? Or the wee son is just going to hospital. It's you they seek out. There's something about you that's attractive to them. You're the room of life to them. They don't really know that. Sometimes they don't know why they're attracted to you, but they are. There's a smell about you. There's the fragrance of Christ about you, which is lovely. And that's the way that it should be for a believer especially. And would to God that more people were attracted to us than repelled by us. Now, sometimes it depends how you approach people. Sometimes we foolishly approach people in a way that does repel them. But if we're wise... Oftentimes, it'll attract them. We, Emily, what age is Emily? Five? Around about five? Four and a half. We, Emily, comes to me on a Sunday often looking for a wee sweetie. So I give her a wee sweetie. And a couple of weeks ago, I bent down to give it. And her granny was nearby and says, give the pastor a big hug. So she gave me a big hug. And then she says, bye. 
Foster, you smell lovely. <laughs> no, I like your smell. I like your smell. And I says, what about your granddad? Do you like his smell? She says, no. <laughs> so Ken, change your aftershave for Emily's sake. She'll come near you more often. <laughs> But there's a smell, there's a fragrance around a believer. <coughs> to some it repels, to some it attracts. That's the way that is. That's the, the leaven of the Holy Spirit in her life uh, that, that does that. The Holy Spirit causes us to take on a new nature. A nature that we never had before. In, in Galatians chapter 5 I know you're well aware of these scriptures but I'm not hearing many Bibles turning over I like to hear those leaves rustling I know that some of you have got tablets and phones and all the rest of it that's okay in Galatians chapter 5 it gives a whole list of the works of the flesh in 19 which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness lewdness, idolatry sorcery, hatred contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions dissensions, heresies, envies murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against which there is no law. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, then the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to grow and begins to show in each of our lives. So... Leaven enhances and enriches the dough. The Holy Spirit enhances and enriches our lives. Leaven causes the dough to grow beyond its own ability. It's leaven that makes the dough expand and to grow. And it's the Holy Spirit coming to reside within us that causes us to believers to grow and expand spiritually, for hearts to grow, for our minds to grow, for spiritual life to grow up in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the wisdom and the power to be able to do that. The Holy Spirit takes us beyond our own natural giftings and ability, that which Calvin called common grace. Every one of us has got natural bents and abilities and gifts. Every one of us can do something. But the Holy Spirit takes you even beyond that. He can use them for God's glory. He certainly does. But he can take us beyond them and supernaturally equip us to do whatever he wants us to do. Do you remember the day of Pentecost? Do you remember those disciples in that upper room, those 120? Do you remember how that six weeks period from Christ's passion on the cross to that day of Pentecost? Remember the first 40 days? 
the resurrection and the, the appearance of Jesus. And then on the 40th day, how he ascended up into heaven in his ascension, and they stood there, and they had told him to go into Jerusalem and to wait until you be endued with power from on high. And then when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's exactly what happened. And Peter, the biggest failure of them all, now he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he gets a new boldness he never had. He was a coward. He denied Jesus three times. But now he's filled with this boldness he never had before. And he's grown and he's bigger in spirit than he's ever been. And he goes out and he preaches a message that he hadn't even prepared. Yes, they were in that room 10 days, but he wasn't sitting right now a sermon. And suddenly, without any preparation, he goes out and he opens his mouth and the Holy Spirit fills it. And if you read his message, it's peppered with scripture. All those scriptures that he had learned as a child, suddenly one after one after one, because they all make sense now, suddenly they began to flow out of them by the Holy Spirit. He couldn't do that. He never could have formulated that sermon like that, but it came out of him by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit helps us to grow and expand beyond our own ability. Here's some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Let me just read these quickly. The new birth is brought about by the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of the new birth. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer's spirit, Romans 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 6, 17. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer's spirit. The Spirit gives assurance of salvation, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit fills the believer with himself, Acts 2 and 4, Ephesians 5, 18. The Spirit, by his baptism, enables the believer to speak also in unknown languages. The Spirit speaks to the believer, Acts 8, 29, 1 Timothy 4, 1. The Spirit opens the believer's understanding of the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. The Spirit teaches the believer and guides them into all truth, John 16, 13, 1 John 2, 27. The Spirit imparts life, John 6, 63. The Spirit brings about renewal, Titus 3, 5. The Spirit strengthens the believer's inner being, Ephesians 3, 16. The Spirit enables the believer to pray, Jude 20 and Romans 8, 26 to 28. The Spirit enables the believer to worship in spirit and in truth, John 4, 23 and 24. The Spirit leads the believer, Romans 8, 14. Those are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit produces Christ's likeness and character and fruit in the believer's life, Galatians 5, we read it. The Spirit gives a calling to the believer for special service, Acts 13, 2 and 4. The Spirit guides believers into their ministry, Acts 8 and 9, and 16 and 6 and 7. The Spirit empowers the believer to witness, Acts 1 and 8. The Spirit imparts spiritual gifts to the believer as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. The Spirit will bring about the resurrection and immortality of the believer's bodies in the last day. And there's many scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15 is full of that. There are just 20 things, 20, just 20, there's more, but I just give you 20. 20 things that the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life and for the believer and to the believer. See how important the third person of the divine Godhead is? And often we have relegated him to like a third cousin down the road somewhere. No, he is God, the Holy Spirit, the eternal God, the Holy Spirit, co-equal with Father and Son. The leaven spreads throughout the whole dough. It permeates every part. And the Holy Spirit 
permeates every part of our lives. He's our sustainer. He's our guide. He's our encourager. He's our comforter. He's our sanctifier. He's just so many things in our life today. And then something else in Philippians 1 and 6. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Think of that for a moment. It was the Holy Spirit that drew you to Christ in the first place. It was the Holy Spirit who caused you to be born again. It's the Holy Spirit who seals us until that day of redemption. Paul says that in Ephesians 4.30, that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. And in Ephesians 1.13 and 14, Paul says that the Holy Spirit in our lives is the guarantee of that. <laughs> now here's the wonderful thing. Paul uses the illustration like somebody putting down a down payment. Now, we're bought and paid for at Calvary. But Paul uses then as an illustration. He says, look, the Holy Spirit, Christ gave you the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like somebody making a down payment in something and they're promising to come back later for it. So the fact that we have the Holy Spirit is the promise that Jesus is coming back for us. And the moment you get the Holy Spirit, God is promising you that his son one day is going to come back for you because he rightfully owns you. And so Paul uses that as a kind of an illustration. And so the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and we're aware of the Holy Spirit, he's in us. That's the guarantee that Jesus is going to come for those who are his. And how does he know those who are his? Because they have the Holy Spirit within them. And so the Holy Spirit spreads throughout our whole lives. The Holy Spirit, like leaven, Leaven works silently and secretly in the dough. When the, when the leaven is put in, or the yeast, whatever you want to call it, when it's put into the dough, it does its work silently, secretly. And when the baker puts it into the oven, then it just quietly just rises and expands and does what it does. And for the greatest part, the Holy Spirit is silently, secretly working in our lives every day. We may not be aware of him every single moment of every day, but he's there and he's working quietly, silently, working in our lives, guiding us, helping us, teaching us. And that's often why when you read the Word of God, you've maybe read it for a thousand times, a particular verse or chapter, like I have. And, and then one day you read it, and suddenly the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to a truth that you never saw before. Nobody told you. You didn't read it somewhere. It came to you by the Holy Spirit because he's been working silently in your thoughts and in your mind and in your heart. And he's doing that every single day of our lives. He's there. So we've got to understand that. Yes, there's times when he manifests and we times we feel him emotionally or physically. Sometimes that happens. 
But generally during the day when we're going about our business, he's still working away. It's not just when we're on our, on our knees in prayer. It's not just when we're in the house of God where our hands raised. It's when you're on your job. It's when you're in your bed sleeping. It's when you're having your tea at night. The Holy Spirit's still there working silently and secretly in your heart, continually changing us, sanctifying us, making us hopefully a little bit more Christ-like every day. Because what's his ministry? To glorify Jesus. That's the heart of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to glorify Jesus. If we say we have the Holy Spirit and our lives is not glorifying Jesus, then we need to rethink some things. Because that's his ministry. So let's always remember his ministry is to glorify Jesus. And that may be through your witness, through your words, through your lifestyle, how you conduct yourselves, your business, your family, among your neighbors, whatever, becoming more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like we become is the, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in us continually, making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid and three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Every part of it. You know what beggars sometimes do? Can take a bit of that leavened dough and put it into another bit of unleavened dough and let that be contagious. And if the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, it should be contagious. That Christ-likeness should be contagious to others. It should encourage others and strengthen others and inspire others. That somebody who knew us before we were believers can look at us and say, well, that must be God because I knew him and I knew her. And definitely that change had to be God because there was no way they could have done that themselves. And that's the way the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us that we be a witness for Christ, that our lives be shining for him. Amen? Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us comfortless, that your promise that you would empower us and send your spirit to us is a fact. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you did come into our lives and that you did and are changing us every day. And so we're glad for that. Help us to recognize your work in us, that Jesus may be glorified through us. And so we bless you and we give you thanks for your gracious work in every heart today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made for us on Calvary how you shed your own precious blood for me. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace and mercy you saw me lost, undone, bound for a lost eternity, and yet you came and you saved me. Lord, we can never understand why you did that, but we're so grateful that you did because we have been changed forever. Amen. And so, Lord, as we come to this table that's spread today for the body of believers that are here, 
as we come in a moment to partake from these emblems, help us to remember where this began, the price that was paid at Calvary and how the Holy Spirit drew us to the cross where we bent the knee and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we give you thanks for this bread and for this little cup, these emblems that speak of all of that. And in a moment as we partake, Lord, we pray that your presence will strengthen and encourage us. Thanking you for the gift of life that you gave freely for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.